Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion. And everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Tim A., Gordon S., and Andy J. On the program today is a new guest of a returning company. Mr. James Hines is here with us. James is executive chairman of Core Mining, a California-focused project developer and explorer advancing the Imperial Gold Project and also the Long Valley Gold Project in California, United States. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol K-O-R-E and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol K-O-R-E-F. Mr. Hines, thanks for coming on the show. How are you, sir? I'm very good, Andrew. Thank you for having me today. Well, Jim, good to chat. Sentiment in the gold market has improved as of late. The equity sentiment has also improved. What are your thoughts on investor appetite for gold equities here, and also your thoughts on overall gold price environment? Yeah, that's a good question, Andrew. And you know, it's been interesting being in a, a sideways market for the last, call it, eight months or so. We had such a good experience last, uh, you know, coming out of the spring last year in the summer. The blip was fairly short, uh, unexpectedly short, in terms of, you know, where the real enthusiasm in the precious metal space was. But I'm starting to get that feeling again, you know, very similar to this time last year where, you know, things aren't really adding up across the board and PMs are becoming, you know, I guess the the shine starting to come back on. And I'm not sure that's starting to translate yet into the junior precious metal space. Um, not like you would expect with the, the rally that we've had with gold. But maybe that's just creating an opportunity for shareholders that are, you know, early to the game or early to the next leg up as they might see it. It's been a blessing for people who want to continue to deploy capital in the sector where we've seen other areas like copper starting to heat up. Uranium equities heat up. The price is lagging, but that will sort itself out, no problem. You know, coal, oil, these sectors are uh, starting to heat up quite well, steel. So it'll be interesting to see how things go here, but definitely gold seems to be given a pretty good extra time window for us to uh, continue to position here. I'd certainly agree that it will move and surpass the highs that were set uh, last year. And you're right, it's been about a year since things have started to take off. So we'll see what happens next. So you're probably new to most of our audience. Talk about your past experience in this sector and why you went ahead and got involved in this particular venture with core mining. Well, the reality is core mining is my first kick at the can in the in both the precious metal space and also in the public markets. Uh, I'm a geological engineer. I've been in the mining space for just over 20 years now, but mostly in the private sector, in the aggregates and construction materials business, uh, as well as working for you know, multinationals like uh, Lafarge. But you know, as in any business and the cyclicality of it, I just saw the opportunity in call it 2015, 2016 to be really an active participant in what I thought was going to be you know, a banner opportunity in the precious metal space. And uh, and and so I looked at that as a 
where am I going to find my entry point? Where is going to be the best opportunity to have great exposure to precious metals? And that's uh, how I started CORE and you know, find myself today. Yeah, Jim, that's great. And you're one of the, or you're the founder out there and a substantial shareholder of the company. Scott Troublecox has been on the show in the past. He's your CEO. Do you get along with Scott and why is he important? Uh, Scott's fantastic. Uh, Scott is, you know, he's a true CEO and true manager. He, he runs the company extremely well. He manages our team very well. And, you know, he fills the gaps, um, you know, in that I don't have, you know, I'm a entrepreneur. I seek projects, I seek opportunities. Uh, and I think about the strategy behind the business and having Scott, you know, being so dynamic, he's a great presenter. He, he really resonates with shareholders and investors. It's just a great fit. So as a as a byproduct, we've created a really good team around Scott. Jim, talk about how you guys met because he was over at Nevsun for a time, leading things over there. Uh, you know, prior to the Lundin Zijin bid for that company, um, I don't remember the year, but it was a couple of years ago now. How'd you guys hook up, and what was the thought process when uh, California came on your radar? Yeah, so I first met Scott in 2019. And he had just come out of Nevsun. The transaction had closed. Scott was taking a breather because obviously, uh, to your point, it was a pretty long process and there were a lot of uh, moving parts. But that was a big win for Scott and you know, his organization. And Scott coming out of the base metal space at the time was looking in 2019 at the precious metal space as a, you know, a, the time to get in. You know, there was the writing on the wall in 2019, you know, some saw it, some didn't, but, you know, as of June 2019, what really started as the great sort of real uh, rally of, of where we are today began and Scott stepped in right at that time. So I had the pleasure of meeting Scott uh, in the spring of 2019. We hit it off very well and, uh, you know, we, we just came to an understanding that we would work well together and, it could grow core to be, you know, what it is today and beyond. Jim, recent news, the company announced an 8 million Canadian bot deal at 95 cents. How much runway will this give the company until the next potential capital raise? And what does the pro forma capital structure look like here? Yeah, it's really good timing for this, um, you know, for this uh, conversation, Andrew. We looked at where we are today, where we wanted to be in the next, call it six to eight months. And we have a lot of news-driven, call it exploration activities over the next, uh, call it six months on both of our projects in California. And we wanted to make sure that we were well capitalized going into that. So taking advantage of the window that we've had, this nice blip in the gold price, Definitely some strong interest uh, on the institution and, and even on active retail that are part of the existing core story, you know, to add to the treasury, to, to make sure that we're well-funded to do some drilling this, uh, this summer and fall. You know, we started out the year with about $5 million in cash. This will add, you know, quite significantly to the treasury, but without too much dilution for shareholders. You know, we're fortunate uh, having spun out our, our carists gold assets uh, earlier in the year. We have just 106 million shares out 
in core at this time. So we're not adding a significant amount to the uh, to the share registry. Uh, but ultimately, we're, we're a tight, tightly held company with you know, management and Eric Sprott owning, I guess, collectively somewhere between 65 and 70% of the company. And so we just keep these financings uh, tight, fairly closely held and you know, give us visibility on creating good news flow from you know, what we think is the transformative part of core entering into areas that haven't been drilled in 25 years. With the Karis transaction and the timing here, you know, the company, the Karis transaction took a fair bit of value, it appeared, when that happened earlier in the year. And this coincided, of course, with part of the low period in the sentiment for, you know, gold equities at the time. What's your thoughts on, you know, you guys doing this capital raise now versus, you know, when the stock was, I think, north of 150 a couple months back prior to this Karis transaction? And then the other part of that, and like your comments, is the Karis assets, those assets seem to uh, have collected a, a good value here. Not that they've IPO'd yet, but uh, what's your thoughts on just the timing here and, and the value of Karis? Well, with any spin out, you know, you have to put a pin in your timing and plan for the best. And uh, when we made the decision in the fall to do that, we were looking at what had transpired within our exploration assets in BC through the exploration season in 2020 and, and how we wanted to advance those assets in 2021. And we had some excellent exploration success on a very large land package in the Caribou. Some, you know, incredible opportunity to continue to grow that asset and it justified being its own company and and as a result we were able to attract Andrew Kipe as the CEO of that uh, of that spin out uh, we plan on taking that public here shortly but it really cleans up the story on what core versus Caris really is and core is a exploration and development company in the United States. Uh, combined, we have nearly 4 million ounces of gold across you know, M&I and inferred, mostly oxide within those deposits. Whereas the opportunity in British Columbia is a large scale regional exploration that uh, we started last year with a, call it a seed uh, drilling program. Uh, it bore a lot of fruit. And as a result, you know, we're going to go full bore this year on that. And while we are going to be doing extensive exploration regionally and locally in, in California, we didn't want to mince those stories. So it was a really, it was timely for us. And I think what's, what's happened despite the pullback in the share price, which, you know, it's happened across the board, it's really given us an opportunity to have shareholders get exposure to both stories as both stories build and develop uh, going forward here. Yeah, I think that's good, Jim. I appreciate you going through that and the timing and how you guys look at this. I think it does make sense in the long run, maybe in the short term, maybe folks don't fully see it yet, but uh, I think there's some good things to come from both companies. So on this bot deal, did management participate in this capital raise here? And then maybe you can speak to the key shareholders post-closing, and are there any new key shareholders coming in with this? Uh, it's it's a little early to comment for me to comment on some of that. Um, I will say that we do have active insider and management participation on this. Uh, so that would include you know, every you know, our management team, our uh, board of directors, 
Uh, and you know, I'm told that Eric Sprott is a, is a decent uh, size participant in this financing as well. And so, you know, really it is a, it's a testament to you know, the belief in what it is that we're doing. Uh, we'll know over the next little while who the you know, who will be joining the sort of shareholder registry as we as we go, but we're pretty confident that the uh, the mix will will be fitting with our, our current structure. Very well, and, and Jim, can you just also cover where are you guys at as far as your current holdings? Can you maybe just speak to management there, and if you don't mind sharing, maybe yourself from a, a cost basis in your shares. Sure. So um, I, I think between Scott and I collectively, we hold close to 30 million shares of the 106 million shares outstanding. Uh, Eric Sprott would own approximately 27 or 28 million as well. Uh, Eric, Eric participated in every single financing the company has done uh, as a public company as of uh, August 2019. Uh, and two of the three prior to this bot deal, he did exclusively. So we've been active, you know, active participants ourselves. Uh, we will be part of this, um, you know, part of this bot deal. I, I think collectively management will have uh, probably about 10% of the, the financing itself. And so, you know, from a cost-based perspective, you know, we are being diluted a little bit, but we see this as a, you know, an averaging up for ourselves. And, and uh, I think when Scott first came on board, he would have been buying stock in the uh, 20 to 25 cent range and you know now we're in the 95 cent to a dollar range certainly remember the days when it was down there and it's good to see you guys you know pay up here i think that that helps uh, with investors out there that are looking at these types of things to understand and that's always a good thing to see that happening okay well imperial new drill program is on the way you guys are in permitting stages this is a pretty important step for the company and suspect as part of your uh, capital raise here that a lot of this money is going to go into the drill bit here talk about when you expect those permits how is that process going when will it start and what do you guys expect to expend on this campaign a very good question andrew and, and that is an important part of you know call it the next six months for the company so we've been undertaking Ever since we acquired the Imperial project, we've been you know, working methodically on, on advancing it. And you know, fundamentally, one of the first aspects of that is we we staked a large large land package around Imperial, recognizing that historically there was you know a lot of interest in exploring that trend that connects you know, three sizable deposits, being the Picasso mine. The Imperial project itself, and then the operating Mesquite mine, uh, which is currently owned by Equinox Gold. We recognized that there was a pretty significant trend through there, wanted to make sure that you know, we as a company had the opportunity to explore that in the future. And we've actually staked even recently more ground because we continue to find gold mineralization at surface, you know, lots of alteration. And you know, we recognize that these are big systems and the opportunity is very large for a company like us to find, frankly, assets or, or deposits that are similar size to Imperial and, and Mesquite along that same trend. So to your point, it's pretty important that we get out there and we start drilling. And you know, we've recently updated the PEA that we came out with. Uh, so we came up with a PEA on Imperial last year with very robust economics. And that was the driver for us to say, okay, 
we have a pin and evaluation on the asset. While we're advancing that towards you know, permitting to build the mine, let's permit for regional exploration and expansion drilling. So we've, you know, we've gone out, we've done a lot of legwork to work up our targets, uh, both through geophysics, uh, geochemistry, the good hard work in terms of environmental preparation, permitting prep, and then ultimately have recently signed an MOU with the Bureau of Land Management to go through the process to finalize permitting on that. So it is our, you know, we expect the permitting process to take another, call it four months here on that, you know, barring any changes. But with that opportunity, we'll see the, you know, the drills turning, you know, conceivably in Q3 here for the company on the Imperial project. And collectively on that project, we'd like to see a, a 10,000 meter initial campaign. And that 10,000 meter campaign would include uh, both expansion drilling and verification drilling within the Imperial deposit, but also taking some of these blue sky targets that we've developed over the last, call it year to year and a half, and, and really shoot for some really high priority targets there. Jim, any idea on what investors can expect on the cost for that program? Drilling costs for a program like that are, are reasonably modest, actually. We're, um, you know, we're in great terrain, easily accessible. Uh, so we'd look at uh, $250 US per meter, maybe up to 300 US per meter uh, drilling cost all in. And so that would include our assays and our field crews and everything else. So look at that being a, approximately a $3 million program. That sounds good, Jim. I appreciate that. Um, so lots of topics here. I want to try to hammer through some of these um, and, and stay on Imperial for a moment, then we'll go to Long Valley. You know, I think that's one of the things you guys have here is you have a development project that's either moving to pre-feasibility or even directly to feasibility study. Typically on development stories, you know, there can be a drop in, in the share price to where there's some boredom from investors, but you guys are trying to supplement this with some exploration work that could get share price up and then allow you to potentially raise capital to continue to get through permitting here on the actual mine at Imperial. Talk about that thought process there to keep driving the share price higher, why this feasibility study takes place. Talk about that time frame, and then also you've got a pretty good you know, expertise on that side of things in permitting in California with Mark LaDuc as a part of your team. Talk about him and, and talk about the time frame and what you guys really think is reasonable here to actually proceed through final studies and how long it would take to actually get this thing permitted. Yeah, very good question. And you're bang on with uh, with Mark LaDuke. Uh, Mark LaDuke came on board about a year and a half ago now. Uh, he's He's been instrumental in driving you know, the engineering uh, and permitting environmental side of the company. He's built a you know, strong team in Imperial County where the Imperial project is located. And, and there's a real focus on community engagement, uh, the social side, given that, you know, mining is, is actually a pretty sizable business in that county. And, and the follow through on that is Mark's had an opportunity to do a deep dive into, you know, the data, uh, you know, the quality of the work that was done historically, which is, uh, which is very, very, very well done. And it'll lens it, lends the project to a you know very structured approach where we aren't just relying upon a permitting timeline we the imperial project hasn't seen a drill bit since 1998 
And so if you look at gold prices today versus back then, uh, you look at the opportunities to use technologies for you know, finding new deposits. You know, this is a really untapped opportunity for us to run in parallel. And, and so as a result, Mark and his team are moving along with you know, all the baseline and environmental work required to permit the mine. They have you know, the engineering side of it pretty much completed. And so a lot of this stuff is plugins for a you know, potential pre-feasibility or feasibility study of which the lack of complexity of the Imperial project, you know, doesn't really dictate that we have to pull the trigger on that right away. Have such strong and reasonable economics within our PEA, all the information that we continue to gather will, will help to supplement that future PFS, including the existing, including this drill program that we're discussing. Uh, it'll just add more value. It'll add more information. Uh, and, and then that lends itself to expansion of the resource which we want to make sure that you know, we aren't just putting a pin in it and saying this is our project that we're going to permit. This is you know, a growing plan. Uh, we hope to find considerably more resources uh, and we'll continue to explore while we're undertaking that permitting process. Then the permitting process itself, you know, part and parcel with uh, receiving our drilling permit, uh, we'll be looking to submit our plan of operation for the mine plan itself. And from that point forward, we anticipate it'll be about a two-year process on the permitting side. So we're looking at you know, two and a half years right now on permitting. You know, maybe that takes three years when you look at the supplemental permits that would be required. Uh, but given the, the location, uh, the lack of complexity, uh, we think with good work and good good community engagement, we uh, we should be on track to sort of meet those objectives. Jim, that sounds good. We follow Equinox Gold uh, quite a bit here. It's a portfolio position at Smith Weekly. You know, they're working on Castle Mountain. I know Mark's well in tune with uh, these projects in this area. And the timing sounds about right. The reality is with Imperial there, and maybe you can speak to this, that project is within, you know, reaching distance from Mesquite. What's your thought process on that as far as, you know, comment what you can. This Imperial deposit is within distance of these facilities that are existing, which may make the process an, an easier process to permit um, if you were Equinox. Now, I can't speak for them, but that's an interesting proposition. Is this your guys' intention? If there's no interest and if you guys can't generate any interest, do you guys feel plenty comfortable with Mark and the permitting side for you guys just to go ahead and move this thing forward and if needed, construct? To sum it up, you, know, you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to Mark and uh, the Castle Mountain project. You know, Mark was a pretty instrumental part of the team for permitting that first phase at Castle Mountain. Uh, as you know, Castle did a restart in, um, or Equinox did a restart of, of Castle Mountain in the fall. Um, sounds like that's going incredibly well. Uh, they're working on their permits for, for phase two of that uh, of that mining construction. And as a result, we have a you know, pretty sizable uh, team to draw upon uh, that, that Mark's used in the past, you know, with regards to consultants, uh, engineering, legal. It, it, it makes for you know, hitting the ground running on the permitting process uh, and also recognizing where some of the you know, critical timeline elements could be in a process like that. 
So yeah, absolutely on that front, we, we've got a good team and we have a really good plan on that. The fact that the Mesquite mine is you know, very proximal, uh, I think it's fantastic for permitting, uh, recognizing that uh, you know, Mesquite is, you know, is frankly nearing the end of its life. Um, Equinox is doing an incredible job you know, extracting additional value out of it and, and gold price is really helping that as well. Uh, but the reality is, you know, there is a, you know, there is an end to the mine life of, of Mesquite. And there are a lot of very high paying jobs uh, as a result of you know, the mining operation there. Uh, they've done a very good job on the environmental and community engagement side. And so those are all beneficial spinoffs for CORE as a company moving towards permitting something where you really do want that community support. And so I, I think it's a great go it alone strategy. Uh, it's something that, you know, it's it's de definitely feasible for our team to accomplish. And, you know, to answer your question on, you know, the synergistic side, you know, while Imperial has ex excellent economics that I think will attract, you know, a number of suitors down the road when it comes to a, a mid-tier that would look to produce you know, run of mine, oxide, heap leach, gold. Truly, there are synergies with a company like uh, Equinox in that, you know, they are a brownfield project, so they have infrastructure, they have team, um, you know, there's equipment there. There's a lot of useful synergies that uh, would add value uh, to a company like Equinox, but it, it doesn't require Imperial doesn't require those synergies to be successful. It's just a big value add for a company like Equinox should they go down that road. Yeah, it's hard not to see that, assuming that the process is done well on your guys' side, execution's good with community work. It, it seems like a, a fantastic location to, to add a mine uh, right next to the other one. Compare for a moment the... Uh, you know, existing grades at Mesquite and talk about, you know, your guys's, you know, grades that you guys are turning out. The mine plan would essentially be the same, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe just do a compare and contrast here. And also, can you speak to what your guys's rough expectations are? You guys already have some good uh, resources already delineated, but talk about maybe the potential here, um, because if this thing gets much more big, it's got to attract some people. Yeah, and I'll, I'll answer that as best I can in terms of uh, compare and contrast. You know, as I mentioned with respect to Equinox, you know, being near end of life, you start getting more into transition ores, you know, maybe a little bit more complexities in terms of uh, moving materials, waste handling, uh, opening up new areas. So maybe you know, overall that can drive up some of your costs while you have you know, overall declining recoveries or, or declining grade. So I can't recall off the top of my head what the reserve grade at, uh, at Castle is, at, or sorry, at Mesquite is at the moment. I'm guessing it's somewhere around 0.35 grams per ton, whereas Imperial is, uh, you know, north of half a gram per ton. Uh, much like Mesquite, we don't have to crush the ore to extract, uh, extract gold. It's uh, purely run of mine. So the infrastructure costs, capital costs are quite low. Uh, and because the strip is, is quite reasonable there, I think it's just over two and a half to one with a sizable piece coming right to surface. You know, it really sets itself up for 
you know, relatively low, low pre-strip costs, um, relatively low operating costs. So as a result, you know, I think from an economics perspective and an operating cost perspective, you know, Imperial should be you know, quite superior to the oper currently operating mesquite mine, just in terms of you know, grades, higher overall recovery because it's oxide. And then because we're greenfield, we're starting fresh, you know, the complexities of where to put ore or where to put waste, um, you know, are, are well laid out based on the mine plan. That's sort of my best kick at the can on the uh, comparing contrast on the two. You know, really in terms of upsizing these deposits, um, the structure itself that connects Mesquite and uh, Imperial is mostly under cover. So it's under an alluvial cover. Uh, there's, you know, the Imperial project comes to surface, like I mentioned. So there's outcrop that's been, you know, explored. Ultimately, that's how Imperial was found. Mesquite was found much the same way. And so if you look at the two, you draw a straight line, there's a you know, pretty sizable regional structure that connects the two of them, which we've also interpreted from geophysics. All that rests underneath you know, this thin veneer of alluvial cover. So our opportunity is to find, call it the string of pearls along that, uh, along that structure where we can find more of the same. And again, given there's 17 kilometers between the two, we think we have a lot of targets that can be generated as we get started out there on uh, exploration drilling. It is an interesting project, and you know I can't see how uh, eyes continue to watch what's going on there. And as this market progresses, uh, you know if you guys continue to to regain share price and market cap goes up, uh, there's got to be some thought process on, on what this is worth and when should we pull the trigger on this company before valuations get out of hand. Talk about just the community here for a moment. Pretty low risk here. You know, I know the community work's important. The ESG factor is important uh, at this point in the market. Talk about what you guys are doing at this stage. Uh, you know, what you guys intend to do as you grow the company's size and can support more community work. It's a remote area. Uh, LA County landfill, if I'm not mistaken, is right there. You know, talk about the area, talk about the community and some of your initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's important to note that Imperial County is is one of the poorest counties in in California. It's uh it's very much a blue collar county. Uh, it focuses on farming. Uh, it requires a lot of sort of labor intensive work uh, to be productive. And so, you know, as a result, it's important to you know to make sure that we're aware of that uh, in that community. And and you're you're bang on on the ESG side. You know, as a as a company, we've we've brought on uh, good people internally, both locally and uh, at our head office here in Vancouver, who have had that experience in the past and are are cognizant of you know the impacts of of what mining can be, both um, you know socially, economically, and environmentally. And so it's uh, it's foremost on our mind, and as a result, you know, we've been leading with that community engagement um, pretty critically. Uh, the last thing you want to have happen in a situation you know, where we are fairly remote, there's not a lot of community directly around you know, where the Imperial project is itself. We wanna make sure that the community is aware of our plans well ahead of time. Uh, that we've actively sought input from the community itself 
and that we make sure that everyone that wants to be heard will be heard in, in and through the entire process. So it, you're correct in that, yeah, it is fairly remote. You have an operating mine like Mesquite. You have um, you know, three or four other mines that have operated historically, whether it was uh, Tunco, American Girl, Picasso, they're all within the, call it 15 kilometer radius around Imperial with uh, you know, nary a resident within that, uh, that same circle. But at the same time, you know, we don't want to um, underestimate sort of the impact just you know, cumulatively. So you know, we're always thinking about you know, what's going on in the region, uh, what is the topic of conversation, and, and how can we be you know, engaged as a company on that going forward. Appreciate the uh, the thoughts on that there, and uh, certainly a remote area of California, but nonetheless services the state really well, and also uh, obviously tax revenues, et cetera. It's got to be important for a state such as California, especially as they enter with some of their other challenges within the state from a cost perspective. How about Long Valley? Why don't you uh, give us an update there? Um, any plans this year up there on that project? What's the thoughts on Long Valley here? I, I think personally, I think Long Valley is a bit of a sleeper, and uh, and as a result, you know, it'll be the first place that sees a drill bit, uh, you know, most likely within core, uh, within the core spinout as it is, and and the reason I say that is, you know, much like Imperial, we've gone and significantly added to our land package at at Long Valley. Uh, we started at 1,800 acres when we acquired the project. And I believe we're well over 12,000 acres now. And why that's fundamentally important on, on Long Valley is Long Valley is a very large epithermal system uh, that is fully intact. So it's, a, it's quite a young system, you know, technically speaking. I think it's about 700,000 years old, which is you know, incredibly young. Uh, takes place within an within a active caldera. So, you know, you have, you know, active geothermal waters, you have all the right makings for, you know, a, a decent size epithermal deposit. But what's so intriguing about that one is it, A, has a large footprint. So the, you know, the size of the deposit footprint wise is, is one of the larger that I've seen that's epithermal style. But historic drilling has only taken place on average call it 80 to 85 meters below surface. So to have a epithermal disseminated gold and silver deposit effectively right at surface with little to no drilling below sort of those initial drill programs that were focused on that upper oxide resource, I think the upside opportunity there is massive and we'll be targeting very high grade potential structures uh, that would be, you know, quote unquote, feeder structures for the deposit. Um, the boiling zone of an epithermal deposit is where you can have these buildups of high grade or bonanza grade gold. Uh, and that's what we, we would be targeting at Long Valley. In addition to actively expanding that footprint uh, and the size of the oxide deposit, because frankly, it's still pretty much wide open in every direction there. On this one here, talk about what you guys think is the, uh, what would you prefer to see um, some of this delineation of resources on this project? 
as far as you know getting that number up and then also how does this slot in are you guys going to advance this one right along with imperial uh will it depend on what happens through the drill bit what happens here because you guys already have a pea um, out on this one as well so talk about your your plans overall there so well firstly we're we're very fortunate to have peas on both of these projects because again that puts a pin in the value of you know the assets that we have goes to show the strength and economics of these types of oxide deposits uh, as they sit in the western uh, western basin and so you know as a result we have you know the luxury of being able to expand on something that was done historically at lower gold prices and if if you look at our our approach on both Imperial and on Long Valley, it is you know, everything we want to do would be cumulative. So while we're advancing Imperial and, and you know, frankly exploring for new deposits at Imperial, we want to be doing the same thing at Long Valley, but a couple of years behind in terms of you know, state of advancement. So while we're permitting at Imperial, we're going to be focused with the drill bit at at Long Valley, uh, and that'll include, you know, the boots on the ground, uh, geochemical and reconnaissance work of all the new ground that we've staked. There's uh, lots of potential structure there, but as we see it surface, just within the footprint of the known epithermal, there's still a ton of expansion at surface of the oxide, and so that can be a nice focus to kind of build up, you know, what right now is classified as a 100,000 ounce per year producer, you know, something that can add more size and scale potentially to that. But while we're doing that, we're going to take some big shots for high grade. And, you know, what we really love about uh, Long Valley and what I really love about Long Valley is that that to me is the absolute true blue sky of, of Long Valley is if you can hit some structure Structurally, we have kilometers of untested structure to, to uh, you know, that we can follow up on and we can drill. And if we have some success with the drill bit uh, on our first go around here on those structures, it's open season on you know, more drilling campaigns on uh, that type of work. Jim, I just had a chance to spend a little bit of time on the PEAs again uh, since Scott and I spoke. You know, you guys have the potential here to improve the production profiles. You're within striking distance at Imperial of, of certainly being able to get to 200,000 ounces of gold a year while possibly keeping CapEx's sub 200 million, which I think is for a mid-tier, the proper mid-tier, it's a no-brainer. What's your thoughts on, you know, where you guys expect to see these profiles? Where would you prefer them? Because it seems to me that depending on the size of the company that's looking at these, you know, they're looking at stuff, projects that are generally closer to 200,000 ounces plus. Do you think you can reach those goals? Yeah, that, that's a bit of a double-edged sword. In in most cases, you're, the, the larger you want to grow your production profile, the, you know, the, the more your capital costs are going to go up. Uh, we're fortunate that the more we find at surface, you know, the more that we can expand that, uh, that throughput uh, and overall increase that annual production rate. You know, you hit the nail on the head in terms of size expectations, but at the same time, you know, I think that threshold of 100 to 150 is still pretty reasonable for something that is 
relatively low risk and relatively low capital cost. You know, it's, it's a different story if you're building pretty substantial underground infrastructure or, you know, you have complex ore mineralogy. Uh, so what I think is everything from this point forward is going to be gravy. And because there hasn't been systematic exploration in a long time, you know, it's up to us to be able to increase that profile. And, and so I really look forward to having that opportunity. It's, I, I know it's going to be there. And when you look at, you know, the greater Imperial project, a lot of our ground is within, you know, call it conveying or trucking distance of, of where we intend to build that operation. And so if you start looking five, 10, 15 down, years down the road of what that Imperial project could look like, it could look very different than what it looks like today. And so, you know, ultimately we're gonna submit a plan based on, you know, the information that we have uh, but the future opportunities are, you know, they'll be a result of the hard work that we do today uh, on the exploration front on, on both of those projects. And um, yeah, and so that's, that's where, as a company, we, we get to be able to do kind of both sides. We get to advance something that we want to build. Uh, and also we have the ability to go out and continue to be successful with the drill bit and, you know, be kind to shareholders in terms of uh, evaluation proposal. Just back to Long Valley real quick before we wrap up. What challenges do you see up at Long Valley? Do you see that uh, community work or permitting is a challenge up there in Long Valley? Um, it's certainly, to me, more of a challenge up there than it would be at Imperial, given the differences. What do you see you know, for challenges at Long Valley going forward on the permitting ESG side, if any? I think when it comes to Long Valley, we have to be aware that you know, we, we haven't really had an opportunity to do that um, community engagement, you know, comprehensive com community engagement and ESG work. You know, we have been very focused on Imperial as we move towards that uh, plan of operation so we can you know, work towards permitting Imperial. And so it, it's now on us to go and, and really start that process uh, in and around Long Valley. You know, certainly Long Valley is more of a recreational you know, greater um, area than than Imperial would be. Uh, and so we just have to, again, like we have in Imperial, really get to the underbelly of the, the community, what's important to the community and, and how we can fit in as a good corporate citizen. You know, it's going to take a lot of work, frankly, but the, you know, it's, it's stuff that we like to do as a company. And, you know, with these projects, we're not you know, short-sighted in terms of what the, you know, expected timelines are going to be or, or how long we're going to be involved. So, you know, making sure we don't have any missteps is really important to us. Uh, and if we feel that there's going to be more sensitivities, then we just have to work that much harder, uh, spend more time on it. Uh, but I think ultimately at Long Valley, finding good high-grade deposit there would be very good from a you know a long-term mineability I guess of the asset you know looking at how long you can have a positive economic benefit in a region is is quite important uh, it's not our plan to be a, a one and done so anything we can do to continue advance you know the exploration front to show what the potential is will help us garner you know, more support and, and obviously more capital that we can attribute towards you know, good engagement and, and good work there. 
Yep. One of the first steps on that front is always listening to what the community wants first and foremost, and that's probably step number one. And of course, you know, as you know it, it's not good to get a nice gold deposit that uh, never sees the light of the day. So your point about mineability is so important in this market and is often overlooked uh, because a lot of these deposits, sometimes they get delineated and they stay in the ground. And it's always good to have a project that can finally see the light of day, if you will. Well, potential investors who are on the sidelines listening here, the market cap of the company stands about 96 million Canadian what would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Well, certainly at current price levels, we're, um, we're about as cheap as you can get relative to our peers. Um, if you look at our peer group, you know, they're trading at, I would say, multiples on a relative basis, uh, you know, be it net asset value, be it gold in the ground, whatever metric you want to use. So I, I think that builds a very, you know, very strong you know, base valuation for, for what an entry point for core would be. Um, the catalyst that we have coming up with the company can't be underestimated. If you look at, you know, putting the drill into Imperial and into Long Valley over the next six months, much like what we did at, in the Caribou, which hadn't seen a drill bit for, you know, well over a decade, you know, we look at these opportunities where our team is very strong on the exploration front and we'll be able to create a lot of value. And and so once the train leaves the station, I guess is a good way to describe it. It's, you know, we'll, we're so tightly held that if we get those catalysts running, it'll be a great story for shareholders to support. And uh, no time like the present when it comes to, you know, we're we're in a, kind of an inflection point, I believe, in, in gold price. And if gold starts to run here, you know, stories like Core, uh, much like they did last summer, will just be a, just taking off in that type of environment. Jim, humor the audience for just a moment. Just give us a few peers for comparative purposes. Any names as far as the peers you want to mention? A good example would be Integra Resources in Idaho. They track as a pretty good peer in terms of of stage and size uh, to core. Uh, Corvus would be another one in, in uh, Nevada. I believe Corvus just announced a strategic sort of debt vehicle with uh, their neighbor. So they may not last very long. Gold Standard would be another one uh, in terms of size and scale and, uh, and stage. Uh, so we, we have a, a limited peer group because I believe in this market, they're gonna be knocked off pretty quickly. You know, particularly if things start to run and mid-term, mid-tiers that are cashed up start looking for that next acquisition, there's probably only a handful in the United States that uh, would fit the bill. And there's a lot more mid-tiers looking for projects than there are uh, juniors with projects of this scale looking for a home. Yeah, I'll add liberty to that list as well, but you're absolutely right. You better get on with it now while you have the market conditions and before the valuations get out of hand, and they will, it always makes sense to get this M&A going sooner rather than later. You know, we know companies are going to ultimately pay up a lot, Jim, at the end of this, but uh, good points, uh, interesting on the peers. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, best way for the audience to reach out to the company? I'd say the best thing to do is uh, go to our website, coremining.com. Uh, on the website, there's lots of good information on you know, each of our projects, on our team, uh, capital structure. 
but also contact information for the company. It'll uh, allow you to make contact, get on our uh, active mailing list, uh, download our presentation, uh, and then we'd be happy to respond to you know any inquiries or questions that your listeners may have going forward. Jim, thanks for taking the time to introduce and also update on the company. Good luck over at CORE and uh, stay well out there. Thank you very much, Andrew, and thank you for the time today. Appreciate it.